Let's do this declaration. And, and I want you to understand this. What we do these, there's power when we speak the word of God out loud. Okay. There's power when we speak the word of God out loud. <laughs> Someone needs to respond. There really is the truth. There's power when you speak the word of God out loud. That's how when the Lord said, let there be light, whew, all of creation was made in that very instant. And so when we declare these things, all of these things that we declare weekly isn't just so we could fill up an extra two minutes of service. It's actually because we believe that when we say these things, we're releasing the word of God in faith, believing that he will actually bring these things to fruition. Okay? All right. Enough lesson. Let's read this with me. Thank you, Jesus, for supplying all my spiritual, financial, physical, and emotional needs throughout this year. I declare that every aspect of my life will yield abundant fruit, 30, 60, 100 fold. I will be a blessing to the people of God and for the work of God. God will enrich my life with an abundance of his peace and joy to such a degree that the enemy will shudder. The power and the glory of the kingdom of God will come upon every aspect of my life and my church. I will steward my blessings. Hallelujah. Praise God. I started to cry and lost my place. God's good. Amen. Let's just give him one more clap. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I, uh, so last week, the Holy Spirit really messed up our service. <laughs> he messed everything up. And, and it's, it's really interesting. So in my mind, I felt like, well, I've been, I did revival family for like five or six weeks. I can't remember. I lost count. Four weeks. Let's see. <laughs> so I have, that's why my, my degree in college was history and not mathematics. <laughs> that's why I'm a pastor as well. I can't count, <laughs> and I always count higher. <laughs> so anyway, but uh, huh? <laughs> I'm a fisherman. That's it. That's it. <laughs> yeah. So revival Friday, I felt very led to share on righteousness and 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 not relating to the first Adam, but actually we relate to the second Adam, which is Jesus. And, and if we relate more to the fallen nature of Adam, then there's an issue uh, because we should relate more to Christ in us, the hope of glory, okay? And that's two totally different things. It's like that old gospel song. I have nothing against old gospel songs, but I'm a sinner saved by grace. No, that's poor teaching, okay? Just as poor teaching as saying like Kirk Cameron's Left Behind movie is good theology. It's not. But anyway, it's just not. People... I, no, we're not. I just, don't, I just don't think we need to pray that God rescues me from this place, that we need to redeem this place. But anyway, so, so we, we went that route, and then I had thought and planned and believed that I was supposed to share last Sunday on more of this righteousness and what the kingdom looks like, and, and let's really hammer this stuff down. What does it look like to live a sanctified, filled life is essentially what I'm talking about. But what does it look like to live this type of lifestyle of relating more to Christ Jesus than I do the fall of man? 
Okay, see, when I, before I came to Jesus, I can relate to him. But after Jesus, I want to relate to Jesus. So, so I was resting with that, praying about that, and the Lord disrupted the service. I never got to share it. <laughs> and then we get here, I know, how dare he, right? <laughs> and then we show up today, and like, I'm resting all week. I'm like, Lord, I'm, re- I'm, I'm ready to preach this, because like, it's just burning me up right now, this, what the Lord's speaking about this stuff. And the Lord's like, you need to go back to Revival Family and just stay there for a little bit longer. And, and, I, I, and, and I was like, well, why? <laughs> why? And I felt like the Lord said, there's some things that need articulated, that need spoken. And if you speak them out, again, it gives more language to what we're doing. And then also it helps us understand like, where we're going, where we're headed, who we are, and what's really, really important here. And, and if we're candid and honest... There, there are a few things that we have talked about here till we have turned blue in the face. And, and one of them, I, I think, if someone said, what, what is your church about? I, I would hope that you would say it's about the presence of the Lord. It's about encountering God's presence. Like, like, I hope you would say that. I hope you wouldn't say, like, oh, we got these little dangly lights hanging. You know, those are cool and fine, whatever. But that, that's inconsequential to me. It's, it's the presence of the Lord, Right. Amen. All right. So what is this revival family? I'm going to skip a lot of it because we've got some ground to cover. But the premise of it is this. It's Acts 1.14. It's all of them were united in prayer. United in prayer, by the way, would look like this. It would be like everyone holding hands in the sanctuary right now with the person next to you all around linking arms And as the person next to you is praying out loud, you agreeing wholeheartedly with what they're praying. Does that make sense? It's why we want to be united in prayer. And that's also why it's good to pray out loud, because I can't really agree with you if I don't hear what you're praying. (laughs) Sometimes the Lord speaks and and will tell us what's going on in people's lives. It's called a word of knowledge, or, or gives you wisdom and clarity. But anyway, sometimes he does that, but... It's good when we articulate. So anyway, all of them were united in prayer. Acts 1.14, the passion translation, gripped with one passion, which means that we are, we are obsessive about the presence of the Lord. It's not about our worship. Our worship's amazing. I, 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 think our, I think our worship's amazing. I'd put it up against any other church in the country, truth be told. But there should have been some amens that to give Logan some encouragement there. <laughs> But we get gripped with one passion. It's not about the worship. It's not about the preaching. I believe we have we think we have lots of good preachers here. We do, and everyone's very different and unique, which is an amazing and amazing thing. And so, so we, it's not about that. It's not about the what we do. It's not about what we wear. It's not about anything but the presence of the Lord. When you strip everything away, the only thing that really matters is the presence of God. And so it's being gripped with that, that we are going to get in the Lord's presence because as we get into his presence, he gets into us. And as he gets into us, then he's able to go in us and out of us, right? That's Matthew 10, 7 and 8. So we are gripped by one holy passion, and that's the defining thing. But there's also, there's also a couple of other things that we as a church that we have, we'll move these, that we as a church that we've talked about quite a bit because we, or I believe that it's just absolutely fundamental. And um, April and I was actually talking about this yesterday on her, it was like her birthday. And so it's like, you know, 
we, we go and do on birthdays like everyone else. You go do what everyone else wants to do on their birthday. And so what did we do? We walked and walked and walked and walked. <laughs> it killed me. My legs are sore. So, and she walked a lot extra, actually. But uh, there's, we were talking about it. We were talking about, like, what, what, is the, what has really defined this church? Because when we, again, when we set out to plant a church, we set out to plant a church that was different from other churches. Not so that we could say we're different than other churches, but so that we could just get past all the, the rigmarole. And if we're honest, like the just religious spirit that's just and suffocating at some places. I mean, let's be for real. That's, that's what we were like. We, we don't, this is the things that we love about church, the family type of environment, the coming together, the worshiping of God, the prayer, the signs, wonders, miracles. Like we love that stuff. But the politics and jockeying for position and, and the, the moodiness and this and that, like I, this, that stuff's for the birds, right? <laughs> it is. And so we're like, well, you know, if we don't like that stuff, like what is it that's really important? Well, one was Matthew 6.10, on earth as it is in heaven. And your will be done, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Like we talk about that a lot. Like we've talked a lot about that if it's there, we want it here. And if it's not there, we don't want it here. Like that's, it's like, what, what do we want in the church? Well, whatever's there. What's that look like? I don't know. Let's ask him, right? We know he's there. So maybe if we would just do our best to make sure he gets here and stays here and abides here and, and tabernacles or dwells here, then maybe just maybe everything else will accompany it, all right? And so we're, we're, we, we want that. The other thing, the other thing I'm actually going to review here for a few minutes before we get into uh, something else we're going to review. Yeah, it's all review today, but the, the thing we actually is really on my heart is something we haven't talked about for over a year, and we're a lot bigger than we were a year ago. So praise the Lord. All right, the other thing that we have talked a lot about, and I believe that is a defining thing about our church, is not just on earth as it is in heaven, because like we can just pray like crazy and, and, and worship like crazy, and, and the Lord can be here, but we actually need to learn to, to be still, Psalm 46, 10, be still and know that I'm God. The idea of being seated in the Lord's presence. That's Psalm 46, 10. Yeah, being seated. When, when Psalm 46, 10, when it says be still, uh, the NESB, which I like to preach from and read from, says to cease striving. In other words, take your hands off of it and know that he's God. And we've talked at length. That when the Lord says, be still, in the Hebrew, it actually translates as sink down as if you're sitting in this relaxed posture. And so it's this lifestyle. Now, you can't sit all the time, right? Some of you are like, I just want to sit in front of the TV and eat potato chips all day like that, right? Well, it's not doing that. <laughs> Some of us are like, no, we're trying to eat a little bit healthier than potato chips. But anyway, <laughs> I am. I like potato chips. That's my Achilles heel. But it's sinking down in the Lord's presence. And actually, the Bible talks a lot about making the enemy your footstool. Well, there's no way to use a footstool unless you're sitting down, right? If you try to stand on the footstool, the chances are you're going to trip and fall off. That's new. That is new. So we sink down as if we're sitting. And then New Covenant, we're like, well, we need some New Testament verb or scriptures for that. Well, that's Luke 24, 49. Luke 24, 49 is when Jesus says, 
go and wait in Jerusalem. It's right before he ascends to heaven. Go and wait in Jerusalem and tarry, or go and wait in Jerusalem until you receive power from on high. And, and like, we want the power from on high. Like, we don't want a sterile church. I sure don't. I want a church that boom, changes nations, that changes a city. That when people come in, they experience the presence and the love and the power of God. Like we want to actually make a difference because if, we're act- if all we're doing is meeting to say that we had a meeting, then we might as well quit meeting and go meet somewhere else is actually accomplishing kingdom work in the people and the surrounding areas, right? And so... He says, go and wait in Jerusalem until you receive the promise of the Father, until you receive power from on high. And again, when he says, go and wait, that means in the Greek or the Aramaic, it actually means to sink down as if you're sitting. In other words, the most productive thing that we can do as a Christian people is to get seated in the Lord's presence and not move from there. You're like, well, how do I go to work? Stay seated, but go to work. How do I raise my kids? Stay seated and raise your kids. And it looks like this. It's just going about your day-to-day life saying nothing is going to remove me from the Lord's presence. That's what Jesus prayed in John 16 and 17, that, that we would become one as he and the Father are one, or that we would abide in one another. It's getting in that position where we never, ever move from it. It's always being aware of the Lord's presence. And so... Then the next promise would be same word, Acts 2, 3. Let me read this one. Acts 2, 3, it says, and there appeared to them. They, they went, they went to Jerusalem and Jesus said, it'll just take a little bit. And it was 10 days. And Jesus, I know. <laughs> but they go and they wait and they go and they pray and they worship. And you've heard me say, like, it's astounding to me that he revealed himself to 500 people, but it only says in 120, we're in the upper room. I think it's because we get impatient waiting. There's something in there. But anyway, they go and there's 120. They're worshiping. They're praying. They're doing all this stuff. And then Acts 2, 3, it says, and there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves. And they rested. The word rested is the same word that was used in Luke 24, 49. It actually means that the tongues of fire or the power of God came and sat down on each individual person. Now think of that. If we get seated in the Lord's presence, the Lord's presence makes its seat on us. We talk about sanctification, holiness, that's an inward work. Like we believe that wholeheartedly. But also it's like when Jesus came and was quoting Isaiah 61, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, which that's for the world's benefit. And so, so here's this thing that they come and they got the power of God rested on them, which I love that picture too, because there were apostles and prophets and, and all these people there. There were preachers there. They were all in the upper room. Peter was in the upper room, right? And he's in the upper room. The, the presence of the Lord didn't just make its seat on him, but it made its seat on every single person in that upper room. Which would mean that everyone, let's just say this, if this was the upper room, each one of you gets your individual fire. And we come together, our fire burns a lot hotter and a lot brighter. (laughs) So the presence rested on them. So then in Ephesians 2, 6, again, review, Ephesians 2, 4 says, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, 
That's wild. His great love with which he loved us. He doesn't just have great love, but he loves us with his great love. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places. And so again, here's this picture. This one again, you've heard me teach this because this is, I think, foundational for our church. But the, the word seated, seated us with, in heavenly places, it has a little different prefix. It doesn't just mean to be seated around the presence of the Lord. It means to be seated in the presence of the Lord, which is hard to comprehend, but it's that whole abiding in him and with him. And so he seated us in the heavenly places. What's the heavenly places? That's the place of spiritual activities. What's the place of spiritual activities? I have no idea. I just think it's like just poof, seraphim and cherubim just flying all over the place. But it's where he says, I want this done right now. It's carried out right then and there. It's a place of different perspective. And you've heard me teach this too, that in the kingdom of God, like the difference between me and someone that does not know Jesus is that I have a kingdom perspective. You have a kingdom perspective, which means that when the world goes to hell in a handbasket, we don't just say, ah, I guess that's the way it's supposed to be. We're like, no, I have a different point of view. And I actually believe the Lord's going to move in this situation where there's desert. I see a spring about to well up right to where there's dry bones. I see a vast and exceedingly great army about to stand up or where there's hope. I actually see hope that's going to come there. And it's not, it's not over optimistic. It's actually just having a kingdom perspective and believing that nothing is actually impossible for him. And if we're seated with him, maybe just maybe we'll hear him declare and decree, hey, I want to move in this situation. If I could just get some people on earth agreeing with me what I want to do on earth because it's already been done in heaven. Or maybe if I could get some people on earth binding on earth what's already been bound in heaven maybe just maybe they'll see my kingdom come and my will be done on earth as in heaven but the problem is is they never get seated long enough to see me move because they're like I got to get up from my seat because I got to take care of stuff I'm not telling us to ignore what's going on in our life I'm saying let's legitimately get seated let's legitimately be still and know that he's God and it's so so hard it's like this if my toilet breaks I'm calling a plumber right if my electric breaks, I'm calling Jeremy. <laughs> I am. If my AC breaks, I'm calling Jeremy. I mean, or I'd call Milton, whatever. I'm going to call someone that is a subject matter expert. The problem is we do it in our day-to-day life. But in the, when it comes to the things of the kingdom or, or provision for our life or with our kids and our grandkids, we do anything and everything than, rather than just go, whoo. You got this. This is the most powerful position we could live our life in. Why? Well, 1 John 4, 17, as he is, so are we in this world. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, meaning when he got seated, he went, I took care of what I was supposed to take care of, and now I'm going to get seated in my position of authority. And... Uh, I need to stretch out my feet. Hey, devil, you're defeated. Come over here. I mean, that's like, it sounds silly to think of that, but that's legitimately what he did. And he invites us to sit in that position. Do you think, I said, do you think huh, that we would be more confident 
in, in what's going around us in our day-to-day lives and we would no longer let the enemy eat our lunch if we would get seated in his presence and just stay there? I think so. I think so. To me, this, is, this, this to me was one of the single greatest revelations I felt like the Lord ever gave me. And it came at a time where I was trying to fix everything that was broken. And the moment I just went, I'm not going to pretend like those things aren't in existence. I'll actually work and do my diligence and take care of what I can take care of. But I'm going to pray and trust you for the results. And if I don't see results, I'm not going to get mad and bent out of shape anymore. And it's not that I don't care, because I probably care much more than I could ever describe or articulate. It's that I just want his results instead of mine. So here's this powerful position to get seated and to live with him and to have this different point of view. Now, here's what I really want to say, all that to talk about this. Revival families are cultures of honor. This will make sense. So you can agree with me after I'm done. That's okay. (laughs) Revival families are cultures of honor. And now, now, I shared this 14 months ago, part of this stuff. And, but we are much bigger than we were back then. It was like back then, it was like find five or six chairs and you could turn sideways and spread your feet out if you wanted in the seats, you know? And the Lord's been really good and faithful. And, and this, I believe that if we get seated and if we keep believing on earth is in heaven, we do all these things, there needs to be a culture of honor. And, and you're like, what is a culture of honor? I'm going to tell you. Because I believe the culture of honor is actually key to make sure that this thing continues, um, I was going down, continues an upward trend. All right, look at this. Um, first of all, let's look at 2 John 1.8. I'm just going to read it. 2 John 1.8 says, Watch yourselves that you do not lose what we have accomplished but that you may receive a full reward. Watch yourselves, watch yourselves that you do not lose what we have accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward. We understand God is a rewarder of those who seek him. Should understand that. He is a rewarder. And this makes people uncomfortable. Some of us are going to get rewarded in heaven much greater than others, but it it just is what it is. Like, well, I want a good reward. Well, let's, I don't know, you can't strive for it. I don't understand it, but he's going to pass out different types of crowns to different kinds of people. But anyway, he's a rewarder. And when it says you may receive a full reward, it actually means that so you can receive an abounding, a complete reward, and actually a reward so great that you're completely occupied with it. And the word reward means wages or salary. And so there, there is something that the Lord wants to bless his people with. And there is something the Lord wants to do for his people. And, and like, yeah, it's going to be amazing going to heaven. But if we can do stuff, like, like if I can sit in aisle nine as opposed to like 999 millionth line, I'd rather sit in aisle nine. You understand what I'm saying? Or row nine. So anyway, he is a rewarder. There is a reward that is complete and abounding and occupied with all that he has for us. And it's not a partial reward. It's not a halfway reward. He's not going to withhold anything whatsoever. He's going to say, this is the best that I have, and here you go. 
So what's the reward? Well, the first reward is, oh, brother, when I get to the sweet by and by, I'm going to, yeah, that is a reward. You are going to go to sweet by and by. You're going to spend eternity with him. And so we get to spend eternity in heaven. But I actually believe that we can live our life to such a degree or in such a way that we start to experience heaven on earth. And that's the second reward. So how do we experience heaven on earth? Through a culture of honor. Now, I'll be honest, like three years ago, I never would preach this because of fear of backlash. Because <laughs> when you start talking about honor, and, you talk, and we'll break this down, when you start talking about honor, you start talking about authority, you start talking about these things that makes people skin crawl, like I would, used to be afraid of getting pushback. And like now it's like, well, I'm doing people a disservice if I don't talk about some of this stuff. I really am. Really am. I want to be like Paul said, I, I shared the entire gospel, not just part of it. And so honor, when we use the word honor, the Bible defines honor as value or to esteem highly. Uh, it means a high price and it means willingly assigned to something. How many understand, like I can give someone a gift out of obligation, right? Let me, let me say it like this. If someone gives me a gift out of obligation, I know it's out of obligation. But if someone gives you a gift because they want to give a gift because they think that you're worth it, it feels much differently, doesn't it? Right? It's like when your kid comes and loves on you and they're like, oh, this is amazing. They haven't, yes, they haven't loved on me for such a really long time. And, and then they like, I'd really like this. And it's like, I'll take the lovings, but come on, Right? But when they just come to come, it feels totally different. And so, so honor has everything to do with motive and heart as well. We don't want to do things out of obligation. We want to do things because the Lord has dealt with our heart and we do it just because that's who we are. All right. So as we begin this looking at honor, I believe, again, it releases and sustains revival. And, and, and if we're seated with the Lord in heavenly places... We actually have this different viewpoint. So this is kind of hard to tie, but we have this different viewpoint. And that would mean if I have a different viewpoint, that means that I'm going to look at every single person I come across differently. Because I have heaven's viewpoint. I'm serious. Like, like there's, there's sometimes you look at someone and think, I, I'm going to stay away, right? Maybe that's you all, Jesus' second cousin. I'm sorry. I'm I'm. I'm Maybe I'm the one that struggles with this stuff. So <laughs> sometimes we try to keep our distance. You don't, we don't honor. We don't do this, right? But from a kingdom point of view, Jesus looks at everyone and says, that's my son, that's my daughter, that's my child, and I want to redeem them, right? And, and when Jesus looks at people, he sees their potential and their hope and their destiny. That's why the joy set before him allowed him to endure the cross because he knew that most of us in here were all knuckleheads, but he said, despite their knucklehead, I see what they could be if they would give their life to me. So he saw the potential in everyone. All right. So <laughs> we have this different viewpoint. So I say that. Let me read this verse. Look at Matthew 10, verses 40 and 42. Matthew 10, 40 through 42. Jesus actually models for us how to honor people. And I say this, 
I say this because I believe this is one of the most important things that we can do here as a church is honor every individual that comes into this space. Every single person that we talk to is the most important person we've ever met. Why? Because Jesus died for every person. All right. So Matthew 10, 40 says, he who receives you receives me. This is Jesus saying, he who receives you receives me. And he who receives me receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever in the name of a disciple gives to one of these little ones even a cup of cold water to drink, truly I say to you, he shall not lose his reward. There's so much in here. He who receives me, or receives you, receives me. See, he, he, he talks about several ways to honor right here. The first thing is we do really, really well. I believe we're doing really, really well is that we honor the Lord's presence. Like we understand that the Lord's presence, the Lord, the Holy Spirit in person is the most important person in this church. It's not the pastor. It's not any of the staff. It's not any board members. It's not anyone it's the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so when he shows up, we get out of the way, right? We do. We try our best to. So one, he says, he who receives me, he who receives you receives me. So we honor the Lord's presence. We're gripped with one passion. We honor those above us in authority. This is where I used to be afraid to talk about stuff like this because they're like, oh, he wants people to suck up. I don't care what you do. I'm just trying to tell you to honor those in authority. It says, he who receives a prophet receives a prophet's reward. And we'll break this down very practically here in just a second on what this actually looks like. This is really more teaching today. In this passage... He honors those who are equal to us in authority. That's why he says he who receives a righteous man receives a righteous man's reward. And, uh, and also, he honors those who are entrusted to us, that we are actually in positions and authority over. He honors those entrusted to him. All of you have people that's been entrusted to you, whether it's your kids, your grandkids, whether you have someone in your work that's underneath of you. Do you understand what I'm saying? All right. So living this stuff out begins to open the floodgates of blessings. And again, 2 John 1.8 says, Watch yourselves that you do not lose what we have accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward. We legitimately don't want to do anything to prohibit the Lord from moving. Like we, everyone in here today, I believe, is safe. Like we know we're going to get the reward to heaven. But what if the Lord can come again to such a degree in this place? And we got the beginnings of revival here. But what if this thing never, ever ends? And what if this thing gradually gets bigger and bigger and bigger? What if we actually do start planting churches all around our city, right? What if we continue to have people moving across the country to be in the Lord's presence? What if we have people people continuing to lay down their lives for their brothers and sisters. What if? And, and it just starts right here with the simple principle of honor. It's, it's, it's literally esteeming others above yourself. So let's talk very practically. Honoring the authorities in our lives. Oh, 
My uncle used to say this, like, <laughs> my uncle was the first pastor I served under, and he, it, like, we'd have meetings, and we'd have meetings, we had, there was two kind of, there were two types of Art Perkins meetings. There were the type of meeting where you showed up, and there was a Starbucks cup in front of them, that was going to be a good meeting. But then there was a type of meeting with a notepad in front of them, and you thought, oh, this is going to be a come to Jesus meeting. <laughs> And he would say this, and it used to make my skin crawl. He'd say, you're just not submitting to authority, Michael. God's authority, you're not doing it. And I'm like, come on, man, I don't want to hear that. You know, just, no, that's not the way we're taught. It's not the way we're wired, but he was right. So there's several types of authority in our lives. The first would be civil authority. Civil, C-I-V-I-L, authority. We should value and esteem highly civil authorities. Well, what's that? First Peter 2.16 says, Act as free men. Do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. He says, honor the king. Now, Peter's writing this about King Herod Agrippa, who is murdering Christians at this time. And he's saying, honor the king. So this sounds so counterintuitive, and I'm not making a political statement, so let's just, but let's just be really legitimate. When President Obama was president, we should, should have honored him and prayed for him. Doesn't mean we had to agree with all of his policies, but we should honor him and and pray for him. Why? Because he's not in that position unless the Lord allowed him to do it anyway. That's what the Bible teaches us. Now, President Trump, I don't say you agree with his policies. I'm not saying you agree with how he behaves. I actually think he's, I don't like how he behaves online and on Twitter and where he treats people poorly. I don't think he honors people, but we should still honor him. Now, I'm not making a statement for or against. I'm an independent, so there you go. But anyway, hallelujah. I'm saying that we should honor him because he's in that position and that we should pray for him because he's in that position, no matter how we feel. And you could go right down the line of honoring civil authorities. That would be honoring police officers, honoring first responders. That would be honoring our military, right? It would be honoring uh, uh, our firefighters. It'd be honoring all of those folks that are in civil authority, our police officers, my goodness, especially in this city, governor, yes, the mayor, so on and so forth. It's praying for these people and blessing them. Very practically, I get, I'm getting convicted thinking about this right now, but Rob McCorkle, which is my spiritual father, my mentor, he's been here two times, be here again in the spring. But we were eating, and it's Ethan's favorite place, we were eating at Chipotle downtown, and he came in, and he literally, I'm not, I can't make this stuff up, he said, we were talking about honor, and he said, the Lord spoke to me and said that anytime I see someone dressed in uniform, I'm to get up and pay for their meal. Like, he just said that, and I thought, that's a neat thing to do, right? And would you believe that within three minutes that four police officers walked in? And I said, I looked at him, I said, dude, there's four. <laughs> Do you just do the first in line? He said, no, I can't. And so he went and he blessed and honored them and said, thank you for what you do. 
Thank you for protecting us and keeping our people, our streets, and our city safe. And he blessed each one. And then that allowed him to be able to pray over each one right there in Chipotle, down, um, downtown, downtown. What is that on 4th Street? Down on 4th Street. And so it's honoring these people. And we really, really should. And we are taught today that we cannot do that. We're not. And I'm not, I'm not like in this social media-driven culture, everyone has the ability to share their opinion. And, and everyone is very mean and negative and pessimistic. It's like if, if someone in leadership does something, like the people that like them say, oh, it's the greatest thing since sliced bread. And then if the people that don't like them and agree with them, they see the exact, say, see the exact same thing, and they say that he might as well be like Satan's spawn, right? I mean, it, it, it's just, you understand, we should honor those in authority. It's just the way of the kingdom. Well, what if they're murdering us? Jesus, touch them. <laughs> you know, I don't understand. I, I, like, I don't know how else to articulate that, but it's, it's really, really important to begin to do that. And so, uh, now I will. Now, what if there's a social injustice and if they're doing something? Speak out, but do it with a loving heart. All right, that's how you can honor someone and disagree. We say stuff like this. We think that someone has to earn our respect. But honor is you automatically have my respect. Does that make sense? Okay. Next thing in the kingdom. Family, I told you this is more teaching. I like to just grip it and rip it. But family honor. Value esteem highly. Uh, here's one. We got teens, but all of us came from a parent. So this is good. Um, Ephesians 6 says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. <laughs> All the parents said, amen. For this is right. <laughs> Y'all should obey mom and dad. Honor your mother and father, which is the first commandment with a promise. John and Bill and Morgan too, I saw that. <laughs> so like here, but listen, honor your mother and father, which is the first commandment with a promise so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. That's crazy if you read that at face value. If I honor my mother and my father, now some of us weren't raised by our mother and father, but we have people that took us on and became our mother and father. Honor them too. That's your mother and father. And it says that if you do that, it'll be well with you. What does that mean? It actually means that if you honor your mom and your dad, you'll actually begin to walk in blessings. Oh, what does that mean? It means you'll actually begin to walk in blessings. I think a lot would be changed in society if we didn't treat our parents like they were our friends, but they were treated like they were actually our mom and our dad, and we actually have something to learn from them. I'm not getting a lot of amens today. That's okay. I believe it's true. I got so convicted of this when I was in college. I used to think my mom and dad were the dumbest two people on the planet. And now, that, and now, and now I, this is crazy. I'm the age of my parents when I went to college. I'm like, I don't feel near as old as they looked back then, you know. I did. I did. I did ask for help from dad because I was in over my head. I said, I don't know what to do. 
but I honor my dad's ability to do something that I could not do. And then it also says, so that you may live a long life. Like, this is where it gets weird. Like, the Bible says you could live 120 years. I wonder if the reason why we live to be 55 and 60 is because we don't practice honor. Anyway. <laughs> this one is fun. Also, if you honor mom and dad, I like this. I wrote this, so I'm just going to read it. If you honor mom and dad, it actually gives you the legal right to tell cancer, diabetes, sickness, all these other things to just go to hell. And I think that's a pretty cool thing where it belongs. The other thing that we should honor is social authority. So we have civil, which is the leaders, but then there's social authority, which would be our bosses, <laughs> would be our teachers, students, would be our coaches, athletes, right? It, it would be, if you're in a group, whatever, it's honoring those people. Again, you don't, you're probably, there's some of us that you have a deadbeat for a boss. It doesn't matter. The Lord placed him in that spot. Pray for him. Now, if it's awful, apply for another job. <laughs> but don't. You know what the worst thing you could possibly do is? If Bob and I is working for the same place, and I'm like, I hate our boss. He's the worst. I can't stand him. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Some of y'all work for family. You probably can't say that either. <laughs> I can't stand him. I don't want to do this. I, I, I'm so much smarter than he is. I, you are too. You should have been promoted to that position instead of him. Do you see what that does? So what, what does it do? Because my lack of honor ends up poisoning Bob. And the next thing you know it, there's a mutiny on hands. What would it look like if I said, Bob said, what do you think of the new boss? Pray for him all the time, man. I don't necessarily agree with his way, but you know what? He's in charge, so apparently the higher-ups knew what they were doing, and so I'm just going to trust him, and I'm just going to do what I'm told to do. Now, use your judgment. Don't do something dumb that's immoral or whatever, but you understand what I'm saying. It's, it's honoring those people, and, and, and that's the easiest thing to do in the world is to begin to chitter-chatter and gossip, and it messes everything up. And I'm saying that's not of the kingdom. That's not. I have a different point of view. Because I'm seated with Christ Jesus in the heavenlies. Which means that since I have a different point of view, I'm hoping and praying that he has a love encounter with the Lord. Students, teenagers, non-teenagers, almost teenager, close, kind of. You're almost there. Kids. Your teachers. When everyone else is saying, I hate my teacher, and they give too much work, and that I can't stand their voice, and I'm going to, and everyone's making fun of what they're wearing, what they're doing, what they're, all these types of things. What would it look like if you're the one that says, "Let's not do that. That's not right." Do you understand? They actually went to school for four, probably five, six years to do what they're doing to make a little more than minimum wage. What would it look like to honor them, right? Most of the people that we should honor in civil situations probably deserve to get paid much more than they do anyway. So very practical type of stuff. We, we esteem them. We value them highly. Why? Christ valued them highly. Again, it's not sucking up. It's doing it because he saw value and potential in them. So we need to ask the Lord to allow us to see value and potential in them as well. Now, here's the next one. And, and again, I, I have to say it. So this has been one I would have glossed over. In our local setting, there's, there's church authority. 
And I don't say this like, I don't need you to obey me. I don't need you to follow me. I don't need you to do anything. I want you to follow Jesus. Okay? Hear that. I don't need you to follow me. I don't need you to do anything I tell you or ask you to do. I want you and need you to follow Jesus. That's all I'm asking. That's all I'm asking. That's where church authority's gotten twisted because it goes to people's heads. And, and some leadership have done a very poor job and think it's about them. It's not about me and it's not about my staff. It's not. It's about him. Okay? So I can say this because I believe this. So it says, He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. What's a prophet's reward? I don't know, but I sure would like to have one, right? <laughs> And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. So here's this church authority stuff. And, and I'm just going to share on my own failures, okay? Again, and, I'm, and this is being recorded and he knows because I've asked him to forgive me. But when we'd have those come to Jesus meetings with my uncle, you know what I'd do? I'd go home to my living room with April and we'd make sure, hopefully he couldn't hear, he'd be in the other room. And I'd say, if I was pastor at church, I'd do this, this, and this, and this. He doesn't know what he's doing. <laughs> and you know what I was doing? I was a kid's pastor at that time, a youth pastor. So you know what all I did? Is I held children's and youth services. I was never involved in the meetings behind closed doors. I wasn't the one getting phone calls at 1 a.m. when someone needs prayer. I wasn't, I was just, but I sure was quick to criticize him. Now, you know what, though? If there would have been an issue that I know now that I could have went to him and said, I don't understand why you're doing this. Can you explain it to me? Because if I understand it, I'm going to follow you. I'm just going to follow you because I trust you. But I don't understand. And he would have said, this is why I'm doing it. If I would have just asked. By the way, if we do something, you're like, I'm not sure about it, You can ask me. You can ask. I may not change my mind on something. I'm just being honest. But you can ask me, and I sure will tell you, okay? I'd rather you do that than, than, than go to everyone else and be upset. And, and because, again, it spreads like wildfire. Then there's their staff. The other thing, who receives a prophet, a prophet's reward. What I love about here is we have some really gifted ministers on staff that can just preach like nobody's business. And, and I've been at other churches where I was scared to death to tell people I was going on vacation. Because then if I go on vacation, no one shows up. Tithes are bad. You can't pay your bills. So we would just go tell the church board we're gone, you know, and someone else would preach. But here, it should not matter who's right here. Whoever's here, we honor what's being preached. Okay? We honor what's being preached. We honor what's being taught. It doesn't matter. Everyone's different. We all have very unique personalities and deliveries and and it just, the, the preaching is this amazing thing because the Spirit of God flows through individual personalities. I just absolutely love it. And that's why you'll see me, and I'm not telling you to take notes, but it doesn't matter who's preaching, I'm going to sit with my journal and I'm going to take notes because they have something I need to hear because I believe that they've heard from the Lord and they're going to give me something from the Lord. Okay? Understand? So we want to esteem others highly. And... Uh, well, we're quick. Well, what about this guy that asked people for millions of dollars for a jet? <laughs> right? I've never asked y'all for a jet. <laughs> Bob, everyone else hadn't asked anyone for a jet. It's because the Lord's the most important one here. Okay? You understand? 
This, this is just common sense type of stuff, but it's, it's really, really important stuff that we, we just want to honor those that the Lord's placed in authority. And here's, here's, this, uh, here's this last one, and then I'll go through the last two things real quick. The Lord's entrusted each and every one of us over people as well. He's entrusted us, like, so, so for, for me, I'd say I have a congregation here. For some of you that are bosses, you have employees under you. Those that are parents, you have children that you've been trusted with, right? Uh, uh, those that are workers, you have people that you serve. Okay, so think of it like that. Jesus says this, and, and whatever or whoever, goodness, whoever in the name of a disciple give to one of these little ones even a cup of water to drink, truly I say to you, he shall not lose his reward. Jesus is talking about husbands, honor your wife. Treat your wife like she's a queen. I'm not saying worship your wife. I'm saying treat her the way that Jesus would treat her. Wives, <laughs> there's that whole submit to your husband. Treat your husband the way Jesus would treat your husband. Okay? Jesus is talking about our wives, our children, our spouses. He's talking about our employees. He's talking about our team members. He's talking about our church members. He's talking about people outside the kingdom of God. He's talking about esteeming them highly. It'd be, you know, I told the story several times because it's so real about the person that had the habit of running every new person off from our, one of my churches. Um, before I came, there's a story that there was actually a homeless person that came into the congregation and they sat and they actually, people were so afraid, they actually asked them to leave. Now I'm thinking, my goodness, what is wrong with that? This isn't a golf club or a social club, right? This is somewhere where people can encounter the presence of the Lord. I'm saying this. <laughs> I'm saying when it comes to honoring people, it doesn't matter the color of their skin. It doesn't matter if they're black, white, yellow, brown. It does not matter. Okay? I'm saying it doesn't matter how much money someone has. Some people are really rich. Some people, they're just rich in the kingdom. Right? They're not more important than we treat everyone the exact same. I remember at one of our churches, um, We introduce contemporary music. Like, like it sounds so silly now to say stuff like that. Like, you know, stuff with a beat. <laughs> and someone, uh, we had an, I had an emergency meeting with someone. They said it's urgent. And so I went over and met with them. And, and this person, we, we needed their tithe to survive as a church. I'm just being honest. Like, we, they gave probably 60% of the income of this church. Kept the electric on. And they said, if you don't go back to singing out of the hymnal where we actually hold the hymnal and remove the screen, because we had a projection screen, remove the screen, I'm taking my tithe and I'm going somewhere else. And I said, I bless you in the name of Jesus. That wasn't from me. That was from the Lord. I said, I bless you in the name of Jesus. I'm not going to be bound because, first of all, that's not your tithe. That's the Lord's tithe. But if you want to withhold it from here, go right ahead. Go somewhere else. I'm not going to be influenced by money. <laughs> Why? Now, I say that, I'm not, 
I'm not going to allow someone what they have to influence me because I view every single person. Like I value the anointing on people's lives much higher than anything else. But anyway, we want to value people rich or poor. It doesn't matter. And we don't want to be influenced by those things. Okay? We just don't. That would mean that if you see someone on the street that's hurting, you, if you walk by them, don't step over them. Maybe you could Acts chapter 3 and say, silver or gold I don't have right now, but in the name of Jesus, get up and walk, right? Or, or whatever it looks like for you. I'm saying that we can value people. Our kids, we, why we allow our kids to run wild and worship and wave the banners and dance? Because they're just as important as every other person in this congregation. They actually, when they receive the Holy Spirit, they receive the same one that we receive. <laughs> they don't receive the, the, the junior version of it. <laughs> right? It's not like McDonald's. There's like the kids' meal, mighty kids' meal, and then the number one, right? I mean, they receive the whole thing. It's honoring people. I'm sorry, Jeremy, I keep coming down. It's just honoring a man. It's esteeming others. And so, real quick, we don't do honor for this, but honor really does unlock blessings from the Lord. It really, really does. It really, really, really does. Being careful, because I don't, I don't, I don't do nothing to get nothing in return. I do something because I see value in things. Okay? That, that's what it is. Um, I remember, I mentioned Rob. I'll just talk about Rob for a minute. Rob McCorkle. I love him like he's my dad. Like, I love my dad and I love Rob. Three years ago, almost four, I just watched Rob preach. I sat there and cried the whole time. Not because he's a good preacher, because he is a great preacher. But I recognized that he had something that I did not have in my life. And I recognized that he had, there was like this fire and passion for the Lord that, 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 that he had that I did not have. And I said, man, I, I, I went and said, look, you have, I, whatever you're doing, would you just start speaking into my life? Because I'm, I don't want to be a mirror image of you. I just want my life to have the same fruit that yours is having. So he prayed about it and said, yes. Then there's our friend Corey Jones who will be here at the 1st of November. Corey's actually responsible for me still being in ministry because his church prayed. And so I said, Corey, how do you get your people to pray? Because like, at that time, my church wasn't praying other than bless this Big Mac to the nourishment of my body, right? <laughs> Which sounds so counterproductive. And then there's Dan Bohai. Dan's been here. Dan will be here again in the spring. And I said, Dan, you're more hungry for the word than any person I've ever seen in my life. And you're touching literally millions of people across the globe right now through their ministry. I said, actually, this is the first time the Lord did this. I said, I want to actually partner with you and give above. And I'm not telling you this to make, I'm just telling you what we did. But I said, I actually want to start giving your ministry money. Because I want you to keep doing what you're doing. And I also 
your hunger for the Lord, I want that. And so I honor that in you because I don't have that. I just don't. Like, I love the Lord, but not to the degree that you do. And then Jimmy Williams, Jimmy was here in, at Crestwood right before we merged. And Jimmy, he meets with me once a week now, almost two years, over a Skype call. And I watch the way Jimmy loves people and interacts with people. And that's not real natural for me. I'm just being, you know, I love people. But sometimes I feel like I don't know what to say or I don't know how to respond. And so it's just awkward. And then I think I'm going to stutter because I stutter real bad and, and, you know, do all these things. And so I just kind of keep myself at a distance sometimes. And I just saw how he just began to love people all the time as I would spend more time with them or he would take me and he would be helping Dan Bohai, he leads Bohai's ministries, but they'd do something, bring me along to help. I just watch how he loves on people. I'm like, Jimmy, what you're doing, I'm not doing real well. I need help. But it's <laughs> for real. <laughs> I said, I, I don't have that. I honor that. I see that in your life. I recognize that. So begin to bless them. What was really cool is that as you begin to honor others, it must have been, it wasn't this last Revival Friday. It was actually eight weeks ago almost. It was our second one. I was looking out in our crowd. And the Lord began to quicken all those things to my mind. I began to see all these things in some of our people. We've seen some of our people as a real hunger for the, for the word. Some of our people or some of our ladies are amazing at loving people in this congregation right now, like in ways I never dreamt imagine, right? Others of you are just little fireballs for the Lord. <laughs> some of you are really praying and pressing in, and you're not telling anyone about it, but I know that you're doing it because I've seen you do it, and I can see the fruit in your life. And I begin to see all these things begin to manifest in my congregation from things that I began honoring in other people. I just think it's just a beautiful, beautiful thing. And so as you begin to honor, you begin to see the Lord do stuff. Last one, last one really, because I could keep going on because it's such an important thing. And this is like the 15-point sermon. <laughs> they, they don't teach you that in seminary, I can assure you that. Honor even when it hurts to honor. That's the hardest one. Jesus said, if they slap you on the cheek, what do you do? Turn the other one. Which would mean that if someone really hurts you, it would mean that Jesus helped me get over my hurt so that I can love them the way that you love them. So that I can value them the way that you value them. It's just a really, really important principle because I, I can promise you this. Like it's really, I say it's easy. It's easy to honor the civil authorities, I think. It's easy to honor our peers. It's easy to honor those that the Lord has placed underneath of us. And that's such a poor way to say it. But the Lord, those that the Lord has trusted us with, it's easy to honor that. But what about when someone talks mean and nasty about you? Or what about if someone, you can just feel it. And sometimes you don't even have to hear it. You could just sense that someone has something against you. You can just sense it. Especially if you're any bit prophetic at all, you can just feel it. But that's a whole other thing. But you begin to sense that. What if you treat them the way Jesus would treat them? 
despite how we feel? What if someone wronged you 10 years ago and you need to go back and just begin to bless them and bless them and bless them? Dan, uh, I'll tell Dan's story here. Dan Bohai, you know, he's, he's a little polarizing. <laughs> People either really like him or they really don't. And he had someone writing some really mean and nasty stuff on the internet about his ministry. Really mean and nasty stuff. They had never been in one of his church services, but they wrote some mean, nasty stuff. Because they didn't know the man, but they dishonored. And Dan tells the story, he got his feelings really hurt by it. Because we can get our feelings hurt. He began to tell the story how he got his feelings hurt, and the Holy Spirit spoke to him and said, you need to bless that man. And Dan's like, all right, what do I do? And the Lord said, send that guy $1,500. Dan goes, what? Are you sure? He <laughs> said, so send him $1,500. I think it's, it's either 1500 or $25. It was, it was a big chunk. And so Dan said, okay. And so he wrote the check, and got the guy's address to this pastor's church. And put it, you know, in care of and just wrote, I love you and I'm praying for you. I, I believe this will help. And so it was like a few days later that the person that received this called Dan crying. Said, my wife just got diagnosed with this type of sickness and we couldn't afford to pay her bills because she wasn't working. And that'll take care of our need. Thank you. And by the way, I've been very critical of you, and I've been saying some really mean, ugly things about you for several years now. And Dan said, yeah, I know. I know, buddy. So he talks. I know. He said, I'm sorry. Dan says, it's okay. And he said, well, why did you do that? And he said, Jesus told me to do that. Now, if it had been me, I'd been like... <laughs> Maybe if I throw a fleece, right? Maybe you'll confirm it. <laughs> Maybe I'll call like 10 people. Do you think I need to do this? Get it confirmed? I'm saying honor when it hurts because it's always worth it. It is always, always, always worth it. So how does that apply to this church? We're going to value every single person we come in contact with. That's how you can get a church full of people from all different backgrounds, all different socioeconomic backgrounds, with different races. That's, it just looks like heaven to me. But we honor people. Amen. Amen. Yeah. So, I'm going to pray. I don't know what to do because I'm done with my notes. I'm going to pray. Well, actually, I did about half my notes, but long-winded. But I want us to begin to ask the Lord. Logan, you want to do something just so it's not so, like, weird? I hope you hear my heart in this, because this is so easy to hear what you want to hear, rather than what I'm actually saying. Because I'm not asking to be treated a particular way. That's not what I'm asking. But I want you to begin to value the same Jesus that's in other people 
that's inside of you. Okay? And then if Jesus isn't in them yet, I want you to value the potential that they had before the foundations of the earth when he said that the joy set before him led him to endure the cross.